before we get into the word. Um, for those of you a part of Restoration Church, uh, again this year we're doing our outreach at the State Fair coming up in August. And as a preparation for it, um, just like last year, we're going to do 40 days of prayer leading into it. And this year, we're going to go through a 40-day devotional written by John Bevere called Driven by Eternity. And uh, I believe it'll challenge us to live with eternity in view, but it'll also help us as we start visiting with people at the fair um, to be thinking about eternity. And so those are available in the back. You can pick one up. And uh, they're, I believe they're $10. They're in the back and the book envelopes are in them. And then for everybody, the James Valley Road Race is coming. And since we have all of you that don't normally come, I'll just tell you now, uh, there it is. There are flyers in the back. And so that's coming up August 10th. Take one with you. Uh, take a bunch with you and drop them all over the place where people, not like on the ground, <laughs> but like where people can find them and uh, want to be a part of that. And so again, just thank you for those of you um, that are, are playing a role in Royal Family Kids Camp. And if you're in the room, uh, I see you as playing a role. And so I appreciate all that you've done. And one of my prayers uh, has always been that we learn to live the royal family life. Um, royal family is about foster kids and it is about, um, but it, it, it's more than that. It's about treating all people royally. It's about making every moment of life matter. It's about always moving forward and helping others move forward in life. That's what we do at Royal Family Kids Camp, and that's what I want to do in life. And those of you that were training with us yesterday, maybe were overwhelmed by some of the, the information and the data. Uh, some of you probably soaked it up like a sponge. I mean, I totally loved it um, because we need to know uh, why the people we're working with uh, are acting the way that they're acting. We need to know why trauma affects the brain and the ability to process certain things and how that plays in and so that we understand those things and we do it. And one of the things that kept coming up yesterday that I just literally, I'm like having a little party inside of me, um, is how many people said, it's like the body of Christ. This is what we do. We serve each other. We help each other. This is camp. This is what we do. We pick up the slack for someone or we know this person, that's their weakness. And so we, we come alongside and we help and there's no shame in asking for help. That's the body of Christ. Okay, and I love that Royal Family Kids Camp helps us to see it. But what I'm afraid of is that when we go home Friday, we forget. And so we do it at camp, but we don't always do it in our daily lives. And I mentioned to you yesterday at training, at some point I loved Camp Tom because it was, I don't like camping and it's kind of like camping and I don't like sleeping in a large building with children and I, I totally do it. And every year I wake up early because one young boy gets up when the sun does and he loves to talk. And unless he wake up the whole cabin, he comes to the front where I sleep and I get a chair and I put it right by my head and he just talks to me. And sometimes I nod off, but I, I can't for long because he makes sure I'm still awake. And, um, and, and yet for a week, I'm like, I, I love that. And uh, I love being told what to do because I'm not in charge at camp. And it's not so much that I love being told what to do as much as I love not having the responsibility of telling others what to do. And so um, I can still find problems and try to fix things, but some things are just not my responsibility and I love it. I love the guides. I love encouraging you all week long and watching you with the kids and knowing that you're the ones that are making a difference in their lives. And I love all of that stuff. And so at some point I began to realize this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be all the time. And so my hope is that we learn to live the royal family life, even if you don't go to camp this week, that you learn to live it in your life. And in fact, I believe that's what first love is all about. In, at Restoration Church, we've been in a series for a couple weeks on first love. And if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2. If you're going to use the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1041. And I've shared over the last couple of weeks, the background, the history of that. So if you're here and you're like, I love to hear the background and history, you're not going to get it. Go back and listen online or do something else because we've got other stuff we're going to cover today. And, uh, and so you have to go back and listen to that one. But in Revelations chapter two and three, these are specific letters that are written to real churches. So um, they're, they're churches and cities and Jesus is telling John, the apostle, write these words to this church, to this church, to this church. And then he sends it to them. 
Now, it's a specific message for a specific church, but they also circulate this letter. So it's a message that really applies not just to the specific church, but to all churches. And there's also a message that speaks to us today. So this church, Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read it. Uh, Verse 1, write this letter to the angel, uh, that's leader, pastor, messenger, uh, head, elder, I mean, any other word. It's not like a little angel, like flying, we think of angels, okay? That's just the word messenger. So write this letter to the messenger of the church of Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. Verse 3, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now skip with me to verse 6. But you do have this in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So in essence, Jesus is commending this church for a lot of stuff. Hard work, perseverance, and if you know that their Domitian is the the emperor of Rome at the time, and he wasn't quite as bad as Nero, but he persecuted the church. So they're suffering persecution, but they're persevering. They're not turning their back on Christ. They don't tolerate wicked people. That does not mean that they hate sinners, okay? If you remember, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, I'm not telling you to avoid people in the world who sin, but people in the church, okay? So what they're doing is not tolerating people who claim to be believers, but live in sin, the way the Corinthian church was. The Corinthian church was living in sin and yet claiming to be Christian. And he says, you don't tolerate that. You deal with it. You confront it. And that's what they're doing. They've tested people who claim to be apostles and they found them to be false. The Bible tells us how to do that. Persevered and they endured hardships for the name of Jesus without quitting. They haven't given up. They haven't turned their back. Now, they haven't suffered hardships because they made dumb choices. Okay, sometimes in our lives, we make dumb choices and we have a consequence and then we're like, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you made a dumb choice. Okay, you can repent of that and Jesus will come and he'll help with it, but we can't blame everything on the devil or persecution. These people were actually suffering because they were being believers and they were being persecuted for it. That's what Jesus is saying. They also hated the practice of the Nicolaitans, and we don't know exactly what the Nicolaitans believed, but we believe it was, don't worry, that's not an earthquake, it's our kids having a great time, so don't panic. Okay. <laughs> um, the gospel was perverted, meaning they were using the gospel to get money, they were using the gospel for sexual immorality, so it was a lot of truth, just a tiny bit of error. And that's dangerous, and that's why Jesus hates that practice, because sometimes we have a lot of truth with just enough error to actually deceive people, or deceive ourselves even, and so he doesn't like that. So by our standards, this is a great church, and you would visit it, and you'd be like, I like this church. I want to come to this church. They're doing some good stuff here. This makes me feel good. You may not notice what's wrong. But Jesus does, because in John's description of Jesus from chapter one, he's got eyes like fire, and he can look through all of the stuff, and he can see the heart. And I believe this message today specifically is for us going to camp this week, but it's also for all of us in the room. So I always encourage people to take notes. Uh, Even if you never look at them again, it helps you to keep from falling asleep. It helps you when you start thinking about what you got to pack for camp that you forgot to come back. And so uh, it helps you focus. And so do your best to focus with me, and I promise I'll get you out in plenty of time to pack. Because we're going to read verses 4 and 5. You notice that we skip them, and we're not one of those churches that just talks about the good stuff and forgets the bad. Verses 4 and 5, here's their one problem. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
That word repent literally means just to turn around. So in other words, when Jesus comes and says, you're doing this wrong, you say, okay, Jesus, I agree with you. I'm doing this wrong. I'm going to turn around and not do it anymore. That's repent. You, you can cry. You can not cry. It doesn't matter. Repentance is a turning from what Jesus says is wrong. So that's what he's telling them to do. And I don't know what remove your lampstand from its place means, but it doesn't sound good. So if we don't focus on what this first love means, we're, we run that same risk. And so we've defined what first love or what this means. It means they've stopped maintaining and insisting upon first love. That's what's happened here. They've stopped maintaining and insisting. Now, in their own lives. It's not like the pastor hasn't been up front saying, we need first love, okay? It's not that they haven't been preaching on it. Doesn't mean it's not on the wall. First love, on the wall, vision statement, it's there. It's meaning in our daily lives, we have stopped insisting in ourselves upon first love. That's what Jesus is saying. That word first is an important word. The word first means first in time, meaning when you were, Way back there, when you first got saved, that was a time, first got saved. It is also first in space, meaning this blanket is the first blanket in this line closest to me, first in the line. But it's also first in degree, like first place, okay? Second place, third place, fourth place, first place, that priority. So when we translate this in the Bible, go back and do the works you did at first, that's incomplete. I'm not saying it's not wrong, but it's incomplete because this word is fuller than just go back and do what you did when you first got saved. It, it means that, but it also means do what's first in the line and it means what's in first priority. And if you remember, when Jesus was asked about this, he said that our love should be so great for God that it makes other relationships look like hatred. That's how he defined love. And so he puts love up here on this pedestal. And let's define love just in case you don't know. Um, the word love here, there's actually different words for love in the Greek language that the Bible was written in. This one means a strong non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. So what Jesus is calling this church to is to remember where they have fallen. They haven't fallen from, you, you used to be doing this, but now you're not. He's saying where you're fallen from is where I told you the standard of love is. This love is so profound, powerful, strong, above every other type of love you can imagine. And it's not based on you. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your world. It's based on me and my character. And how do we know his character? Jesus came as the exact representation of God, who is love, by the way. God doesn't love people. He is love. And out of his love nature, he loves people. It's natural. He can't not love people because he is Love And Jesus came and he demonstrated his love, not by dying for good people, but for dying for all of us who were his enemies. All of us were his enemies. We were the bad people. All of us. And he demonstrated love and showed us. Now, it does not mean that agape love is not... Um, it doesn't have affection. Look, it says affect, it's a non-sexual type of affection. Sometimes people say, well, I love you, but I don't like you. It, it doesn't mean that, it, but it's not based on it. So in other words, I don't have to, to act a certain way towards you. I don't have to act how I feel towards you. Does that make sense? So if I have like feelings of like, mm, I don't really like your personality, I can still act in love towards you. And the purpose is that I get my affections to line up with what I'm doing. I'm not going to just love you for the rest of your life and not like you. I'm loving you, agape, so that my affections come towards it. Why? Because the standard is up here. And that's who God is. And so if you remember the, the disciples, remember when they got flogged and they experienced the, this flogging and then they thanked God because they got to experience that flogging? 
because I believe they were experiencing the, the love of God. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes to this church that we just talked about that John just wrote to. This is what he writes to them when they're beginning. I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. Same word, agape. That you would have the power together to know how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love or experience is literally that word, this love, that surpasses knowledge. You understand this? So from the beginning, the message to this church is be rooted and established in love, the standard love, God, God as love. Be rooted and established in it, and then have the power, as all of God's people should, to know how wide, long, high, and deep is. And then he says, you'll never really know all of it. That's another reason I don't believe going back to what we did at first is true. Because when you and I first got saved, what we did wasn't perfect. I mean, we knew God, we knew his love, but as you grow in him, his love is made more perfect in you. So what you did at first wasn't perfect, it was just the best you knew then. And as you grow, his love is more perfected in us and we start acting more like him. I don't worry that I just, I don't settle for being better than I was yesterday. I don't settle for being better than that Christian over there. I don't settle for being better than that church over there. The standard is here. And anything below the standard, anything less than being willing to totally give myself on behalf of God or on behalf of others, falls short of it. That's the standard of love. And, and it's hard to see sometimes because we got a whole list of stuff we're doing right. We're hardworking. We're persevering. We've, we don't tolerate evil. We, 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 all of those things in Ephesus, they were doing. But the standard of love was up here and they weren't willing to die. They weren't willing to die for God. They weren't willing to die and give everything. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? He did a whole bunch of stuff. He obeyed all the commandments. Big list. And on this side, Jesus says, there's only one thing you lack. One thing. So it doesn't matter what's on this side. If there's something I'm saying no to God for, it doesn't matter how many times I say yes to God. If I say no ever, it's not agape. It doesn't matter how many people I extend love towards. It's the one I refuse to extend love towards. That's the standard. And I know some of you are like, Pastor Tom, that's impossible to live this way, which is exactly why he put his spirit in us. Because it is impossible by ourselves. But with God, all things are possible. Now, please don't leave here today being like ashamed, guilty, I'm a terrible person. Um, this is not about that. It's just showing us that we, we come to this level, but there's a higher level we need to climb to. And don't say, well, you know, every time you start talking about loving people and how to do it, people are like, well, what about Hitler? Okay, well, then the next time you meet Hitler, figure it out. But for now, just start loving the people in your life, okay? I mean, we go to these extremes because we want to find a reason I don't have to love that person. I want to find a reason I don't have to say yes in that way. And so we, we, what we do is we, we try to take our conscience and soothe it by doing great things over here. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. If I gave everything I had to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, good list, but if I didn't love others, agape, I'd have nothing. I'd have nothing. See, you could go to 52 weeks a year of Royal Family Kids Camp and you could, for the rest of your life, do that every single year and give yourself on behalf of those kids but then when you come home, if you don't extend it to everyone here, you got nothing. It's nothing. It's either all or nothing. This is the kingdom. Now, he, he, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're repentant, you're not excusing it. It's not, you're not living it perfectly. I get it. I'm not living it perfectly. I, yep. But I'm no longer going to excuse it and say, I don't have to like that person. I don't have to treat that person well. I mean, I understand why these children act this way because of what, 
We think we know why this person in our life is acting that way, but in all honesty, we don't. We don't know what their ACE is. We don't know what's happened in their life. And it's hard because they're hurting us and we don't know what to do. So today, we're going to talk about hidden gold. And I'm only going to give you four things. And I got way a lot of time, but I'm not going to pretend I do. I'm going to pretend I don't. Um, (laughs) Hidden gold. And what I mean by hidden gold is, if you remember the story in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus says there's a guy and he finds this treasure in a field. And when he finds it, he goes off, he hides it again. And then he goes off and he sells everything he has. And then he goes and buys the field because he wants the treasure. I believe the kingdom of God is like that. And you, you have to be all in to get that. Okay, and we're going to talk more about that as we, we go through the day. But I think this hidden gold concept, I think, but you know, only 11% of the population think like me. And so uh, hopefully I can make it clear for all of you too. And so, um, but the, I think it's the essence of first love. Because that's what agape is. It's I sold everything. I, I sell everything to, for God. It doesn't necessarily mean you do sell all your possessions. I mean, sometimes we look at the Jerusalem church. They sold everything they had. Maybe we should too. There's a cultural reason why the Jerusalem church sold everything they had and gave it to them to a, 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 a one fund and they all lived off of it. And I don't have time to talk about it today. If you want to talk about it later, ask me. There's a reason. Jesus only told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had. He didn't tell anyone else to do it. In fact, Jesus and his disciples had people giving him money to support their ministry. They didn't sell everything they had. They used the money people gave them to buy food and to buy things that they needed. It was a a thing. So it's not about selling everything. It's about the willingness to sell everything. It's about totally abandoning our lives to God and saying it's all yours because Jesus is not an add-on to our lives. The way you can tell whether Jesus is an add-on to your life or you have totally abandoned yourself is where you are saying no. Where God, I know your word says this, but I I can't do that. You're not all in. I, I didn't make the rules. His word did. God, I know I'm supposed to love all people, but that one, there's no way. And again, you don't have to feel anything, but you have to act in love always. Always. This is about total abandonment, total surrender, so that we don't get like that Ephesus church, have a whole list, but we're missing the first work. Our first work is to love God with everything and love our neighbor the same way. That's the first work. Love God with everything Love your neighbor in the exact same way. And who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus picked a Samaritan who were the least liked by the Jews. So pretty much your least liked person. (laughs) It's different for all of us. So hidden gold, four things. Here's the first one. You find the hidden gold of the kingdom by seeking God diligently. Seeking God diligently. The Bible, the Jeremiah 29, Hebrews 11, if you seek God diligently, you will find him. If you search for him with your whole heart, you will find him. It's the truth. If you want to find hidden gold, and by hidden gold, I mean not something every Christian sees. There are people that go to church every week and miss stuff that Jesus is saying. It's in the scripture. They'll always be seeing, but never able to see. Always hearing, but never able to understand. Because they're not seeking God diligently. They're seeking God casually. And we, here's the problem. We can seek God casually and still find him. We can. You know why? Because he loves us that much. And he will take anything that we give him. But he only does it to call us to seek him more diligently. He doesn't do us so that we can be satisfied in our mess. So God is faithful to us. He shows himself faithful. And we're like, well, he must approve of all of this stuff I'm doing and saying no to him for. He loves me that much. False. He doesn't approve of it. He's told you he doesn't. It's clear in his word. It is black and white. And don't let yourself be fooled because he's met you where you've come to. He met you there to show you his love, to bring you closer. His desire for you is to be just like him. 
totally like him. And so when you find him casually, thank him for meeting you there and ask him for grace to come closer and closer and closer. God does not, I love the quote Jason Newstater gave us a few weeks ago, God does not want to sell himself cheap to those who don't want to seek him. So in other words, there are things that he hides. Remember Jesus said, I teach in parables because I'm hiding things from people. Who's he, what? The secret of the Lord, Psalm says, is with those who fear him, those who obey him. God is not just going to give everything to everybody who comes to him. You want to come casually, he'll meet you there. But if you want to know the things in his heart, you got to seek him diligently. That's the way. Every day in the word, every day in prayer, every day. When I'm going throughout my day, I'm not just thinking about my day, I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about how he's at work, how I can demonstrate his love, how I can build his kingdom. And the thing is, is we're like, well, I don't want to get too caught up in this God thing. I just want to live for myself a little too on the side. And then we're miserable. Lukewarm Christians are miserable. On fire Christians are not miserable. The ones that are trying to use their works to please God are miserable. But when you're totally grounded in his pleasure over you because of what Christ did, you don't do it to make him happy. You do it because he's made you new. Not always happy. Notice how I switched that? Okay. So loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, that is going all in for Jesus. That's a part of seeking him. It's not just going to church and reading your Bible and praying. It's about saying yes to him everywhere. It means when I read something in the Bible and God says, hey, I want you to go talk to that person you have a problem with and I want you to, to bless them. You're kidding. And then we just go about our day and we forget about it. Oh, but Jesus, I wept today when I heard that song, Good, Good Father in the Car. Oh, thank you. But I told you to do this. See? And just because I met you in the car doesn't mean I'm, I'm forgetting this. Make sense? Okay, good, good. Okay, number two, serving the least of these. I love it. Pastor John said, we're serving the least of these. This comes from Matthew 25. Jesus told a parable about the sheep and the goats. Remember, sheep, good guys go to heaven. Goats, bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to do it. And they go to eternal punishment. How do you know the difference? Well, the people that are the sheep saw Jesus hungry and fed him, saw Jesus thirsty, gave him a drink, saw he was a stranger and invited him into their house, needed clothes and they closed him, they were sick and in prison and the, the, the goats are like, Jesus, when did we ever see you like that? And he's like, whatever you did not do to the least of these. Now, I know Pastor John said that the least of these are Royal Family Kids Camps, the over, overlooked, the forgotten, the outcasts. When we look at that, it's like, well, those, I mean, they can't give us anything. They, they got nothing to give us. And they, they don't even know how sometimes to even demonstrate love towards us. So sometimes they don't even do that. And so, uh, you know, why pay $200 to go to camp? Why take a vacation time to go to camp? What, like that, that's crazy, huh? Yeah, it is. That's love. And it's great that we do it for camp, but again, it's got to go outside of camp too. And the least of these is not a people group. It's not the homeless. It's not the, it's for all of us, it's different. The least of these for me and for you is the group I'd rather not go to. Because some people, like I said, you come to Royal Family Kids Camp because you just, you like thrive off of it. That's your people group. But, you know, church people, proud, arrogant, I just, I don't like them. Well, then your least of these is church people. I know I hear it all the time. I love Jesus. I just don't like church people. You don't even know Jesus because they're his people. And so don't get this mindset that the least of these is a, a certain demographic of people. It's all of them. You can love on the kiddos all week at camp, but if you're, you're not loving the staff, well, the staff should know better. Should they? Are they not just as equally needing your love as the kids too? I mean, this is the scripture. It says if you see someone caught in sin, you should restore them gently. 
gently. And it says the mature should do it. So here's the definition of biblical maturity. Do you have the ability to restore people in sin gently? If you don't, I don't care what you got over here, you're not mature. That's maturity in the body of Christ. You're in sin and I can restore you gently. I can come to you one-on-one and we can handle it on the least level. I'm not gonna cover you with shame and guilt. We're gonna, we're gonna, I love you and I wanna see you thrive in Jesus and so we're gonna handle it this way. We don't do that in church. We tell everyone else about it. We pick up the phone and we call all these people and did you see what so-and-so did? And did you hear what so-and-so did? I love Jesus, praise God, let's pray for them. That's not what he said to do. Oh, but when I lifted my hands today, good, good father, I felt his love. Great. Now obey his word because that's what he's called us to. And so this love has to come out of us. Gently instruct those who disagree with you. When Jesus told his disciples, you will be known for love. This is it. This is what we would be known for. And the problem is we don't display this regularly in relationships. And so the world doesn't see it. So they don't believe in Jesus. And so we just try to attack their sin. If they would just stop sinning. Well, if we would start loving. I know. It, it's I really love it. Okay. <laughs> Number three. Sorry, this is just like my passion. So I'm just like. Light lit up. I wish I could live it as well as I could preach it though. Luke chapter six, hidden gold is found in loving our enemies. See, now we've moved past just being annoyed by someone and these are the people who have lied about us, hurt us or mistreated us. Don't take my word for it. Luke chapter six, love your enemies. Now listen, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That was us. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Anything less than that type of love is not love. See, this week, these campers need They need to experience the love of God. And by that, I don't mean when we sing songs, they need to cry or experience God's love. Do you know what they need? They need you as their guide. When they are at their worst, they need you at your best. That's what they need. That's how they experience the love of God because they don't get that anywhere else. When they give their worst, the world gives them the worst back. But when they give you the worst and you say, no, I'm going to give you my best, they experience the love of God in that moment. They may not know it, but you are planting seeds that will one day be harvested. And that's what we do it for. But it can't just stay at camp. See, a few weeks back, I told our church about the Ellen show. I don't know if you watch Ellen and I, please, you know, I just, you got to understand though, Ellen... She brings people on the least of these, people that are broken and hurting and, you know, that are just facing a hard time and she blesses them. She just, we're going to do this for you and we're going to do this for you and people are crying and it's like, oh, it's like, and those of us that are Christian are like, oh, it's Ellen. We can't like Ellen. We can't, don't, don't cry for Ellen. Well, here's the thing. I believe in Ellen's heart as a created by God, there's a desire to, to bless those that hurt. But you know what separates the church from Ellen? We don't just do it to those people. We do it to our enemies. See, Ellen doesn't bring on the people that are hateful. She doesn't bring on the, the, the Ku Klux Klan. She doesn't bring on pedophiles. She doesn't bring on abusers and wicked people. She brings on the nice ones. But the church is called to do it to all. And that does not mean there should not be justice. I have been lobbying for pastors to be mandatory reporters of child abuse in South Dakota. It has to happen. We have to pull the veil off of this thing that says we're going to hide this because children can no longer be victimized. But that does not mean we can post on Facebook that we should start castrating pedophiles. That's not justice. Justice is get them to the place where they pay for the crime they did, but also find life because they're in prison too. 
And the, the gospel is about both of them. And it's so hard. I know this isn't easy. This is why it's hard to walk out in real life situations. And those of you in this room that have really been abused or mistreated by people, you're like, you don't know what I faced. You're right, I don't. He does. He does. And I'm not telling you to do it. He is. And he's calling us to this idea of life. And I think if this breaks out of Royal Family Kids Camp and breaks out of this church into all of your churches and all of your cities, we could turn South Dakota upside down with this. It doesn't mean we're not going to talk of what sin is sin. Sin is sin. The Bible's pretty clear what sin is. I mean, it's there. But if you reject my message, <laughs> I'm not going to stop coming after you. You can spit in my face. I'm going to still come. It's what he did. Anything less, I'm missing the standard. So number four, we find hidden gold by obeying in fiery trials. And I use the word fiery because that's what Peter uses in 1 Peter 4 and in chapter or 1 Peter 1 and chapter 4. He's talking about these fiery trials. He's telling them, hey, don't be surprised by this. You're going through hard times. Don't be surprised by those fiery trials. You know what's happening? Your faith is being tested so it can be proved genuine. And your faith is of greater worth than gold. And when you continue to be faithful in those hard moments, when your faith remains strong in trials, it'll be to the praise and glory of God. And you know what happens? We go through hard times and we're like, oh, don't give me those like phrases from the Bible, those cliches. No, those are truth. And it's hard in the crisis to admit it, but it's truth. I mean, you can rant, rave, yell, scream, cry, go to God and say, God, this is unfair and barra. Do what you need to do to him. Yell at him, say it to him. But when you're done, obey. Obey. I know it's hard. And there are moments in our lives when we want to retaliate. But the Bible says don't retaliate. We want to fight back, but we remember love is patient. Love is kind, and love keeps no record of wrongs. We want to turn our back on that person that's abused us or hurt us or mistreated us or just lied about us or talked about us. And then we remember love always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Now, if you've been abused, there may need to be a separation until that person gets their life right, but you can be hoping, persevering, trusting for restoration, even while you remain apart from that person. Just this last week, we were having trouble with our furnace. It seems like Royal Family Kids Camp brings out like the, you know, I mean, just everything goes wrong. For me, every year, it's just little things. And I'm going to talk about it later with the staff, but just little things. And this furnace in the, the, the Life Center this week has just, it's just been crazy. And it wasn't repaired until yesterday morning at 8.30 and training started at 9. So if you were cold yesterday, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, I've gotten to know the guy from Barton's pretty well because I see him other places and I see him a lot here. And... Uh, <laughs> I said to him yesterday, I said, do you ever just have one of those days you just want to walk away from it all? <laughs> and he looked at me and I'm like, today is one of those days. <laughs> and uh, he just laughed. He knew, he knew I was kidding, but uh, he knew the frustration I was having with that furnace and he felt it too. So let me tell you something. Galatians chapter six, Paul, the apostle Paul says, if you just do what the, if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life. We sometimes think that word flesh means sin. If you sin, you're going to die. But what if flesh just means your feelings? So if you're in a hard place, if you just do what your feelings dictate, you're going to die. If it, if it means that, this is how Galatians 6 would read. Whoever sows to please their feelings alone or only does what they feel like doing, then from their feelings, they will reap destruction. But whoever sows to do what the Spirit says, no matter how they feel, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let's not become weary in doing what the Spirit says to do. 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do what the Spirit says to all people, and especially to those who, excuse me, belong to the family of believers. See, that's good stuff, isn't it? See, the love of God is so powerful. And I, I feel like I've been a little hard on some of you staff people because I'm like, don't stop on Friday, don't stop on Friday. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete to train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I think that every Sunday when I preach a sermon. Don't, don't just think because I've preached it, I'm living it. That's the temptation. As long as, I mean, I've preached that, I know. But if I'm not displaying it, I don't know. And so this week at camp, I want, you, I want you to have a great week, and I'm going to help every way I can this week for you to have a great week, but I want you to keep living it on Friday and Saturday and Sunday because you're going to come home from camp exhausted. I promise you. I'm going to make sure you come home exhausted. And your, your brothers and sisters and your parents and people are going to be like asking you things, and you're going to be like, shut up, leave me alone. And that's what you're going to feel like, but you're not going to do that. Because you're going to display the same stuff. Or you're going to be like your brother like got in your room and took all your stuff out. And you're like, what? And you're going to display the same kind of love. That's what you're going to do. Because I think the love of God is so powerful, it changes lives. I really do. There's a song that is called Reckless Love. And it was written by Corey Asbury. And it's a song about the love of God. And... I know there's some drama around it and I know that some people think you shouldn't sing it and some think you should, but pretend that we should, everyone. If you don't think we should, as soon as this moment is over, go back to thinking that, but just for a moment, because he shares something that I want to share with you on video because it's so profound. Um, The word reckless means without regard for personal safety or personal consequence. That's literally what it means. And so the love of God does for others without regard for personal safety or personal consequence. That's what this is about. And he, in this song, stops and he shares a passage of scripture from Luke chapter 15. And then he talks about and he defines reckless love. So watch this. It says, now the text collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes the sinners and eats with them. The religious people are mad. It sets the stage and Jesus pipes up. He told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And after he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. He calls his friends, he calls his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't. (laughs) Man, he's that good. I want to just read a couple thoughts, just share a little bit of the story behind this song, and then we'll sing that bridge one more time, and we'll go nuts. We'll see what happens. So when I use the, re- the phrase, the reckless love of God, when we say it, we're not saying that God himself is reckless. He's not crazy. We are, however, saying that the way he loves is, in many regards, quite so. And what I mean is this. He's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, comfort and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you, for me. His love doesn't consider himself first. It isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself on the line. He simply puts himself out there on the off chance that you and I might look back at him and give him that love in return. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time, and to many practical adults, that's a foolish concept. But what if he loses the 99 in finding the one, right? What if? 
finding that one lost sheep is and will always be supremely important. His love isn't cautious. It's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, we would think it irreparably broken. Yet he gives himself away again and again and again and again, time and time again. Make no mistake, our sins do pain his heart and 70 times seven is a lot of times to get your heart broken. And yet he opens up and allows us back in every single time. His love saw you when you hated him and all logic said they'll reject me. He said, no, I don't care what it costs me. I lay my life on the line as long as I get their hearts. As long as I get their hearts. Would you bow your heads to pray with me? I want you to understand the kids at camp this week need this love demonstrated for them. For those of you not going to camp, I guarantee you you're going to cross paths with someone this week at work, at the store, in your own home that needs this same love displayed for them. They need to experience the love of God in the way you respond. We want to be a church that's after the one. We are a camp that is after the one. And all this week, you guys are so willing to sacrifice and, and give yourself for those kids. And I want you to do it. And I'm going to be cheering you on. And if you don't, I'm going to try to gently instruct you. <laughs> but this is what Jesus said we'd be known for. And I often make, use the phrase that I now bleed purple. And it's not just about serving abused and neglected kids. It's about serving everyone. I want to be willing to love the least of these in my life. I want to be seeking God diligently. I want to be loving my enemies. And I want to be obedient even when I want to run away. And it's a challenge. And I put it in front of you because you're the cream of the crop and I think you can do it. And I believe a movement is coming when the body of Christ is gonna start displaying the love of God like never before. And it's gonna change our world. It really is. But I don't wanna pretend today that everyone is in that place. And so with, I don't want anyone to look, but I wanna give you a chance if you're here You've never heard about the love of God described the way I described it today. And you've never heard about laying your life down and totally abandoning yourself to Jesus. Because when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for every one of our sins. So we wouldn't have to. And we have to put confidence that that's what he did for us and exchange our lives for his. That's the gospel. And if you've never done that today and you say, today I want to make a decision to repent. I want to turn from my life and turn to him. And I've never done that before. I want to do it right now. I'm making that decision. Would you raise your hand and say, I'm going to make that decision today. And I want, I want to raise my hand and say, that's what I'm doing. I want to make sure everyone in this room has done that. So if you're not here, is there someone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? You say, that's, that's me. I'm making that decision. I'm not going to ask you to move or to say anything else. I just want to see your hand. Say, that's me. Today I'm all in. then I'm gonna assume we're all all in, at least trying to be. And if the first love that I've described today resonates in your heart, and you say, I wanna come back to the first work. I wanna repent from where I've fallen, the standard, and I wanna come back. It could be one situation that's revealed to you, it could be a hundred but you just say, and that resonates in your heart, and you say, that's me. As we close in prayer today, I wanna to pray a specific prayer over those of us that the Holy Spirit is speaking that to our hearts specifically. And so if you're here and say, I wanna come back to that first work, that first love, I want you just to stand to your feet where you are. Just stand up and say, that's me, I wanna do it. 
I'm all in, first work, first love, every day, all the time. I'm going after him. And so Father, today, I thank you that you are a God who loves us at our worst. I thank you that while we were your enemies, while we rejected you, while we hated you, when we had no chance of coming to you, you demonstrated your love and came to us. You emptied yourself. You gave everything. You were willing to take our punishment, our cost, our sin, our death upon yourself. And Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would would help every single one of us to understand that love in such a way that we no longer do good works in order to, to maintain a relationship with you, but we do good works because you've brought us into relationship with you, that your love so fills our lives that the natural outflow is loving others, is loving you totally, that we don't say no in any circumstance or situation, that we don't say no to any, to loving any person. God, help us to live this out every day of our lives. Thank you that you love us enough to discipline us, to correct us, to even rebuke us. And so Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing to mind the situations, the people that we need to take care of. Now give us grace to go and take care of them and not to allow them to be pushed to the side, not to be allow, allow that word you've spoken today to be choked out, to be pushed away. Help us to put it into practice. A place specifically again for every one of our campers, God, we pray that you begin to prepare them. You'd remove every roadblock, that every single one of them that are registered to be at this camp would be at this camp. God, that every staff member, we pray protection over them and their families. We pray for Courtney today. We just pray for total restoration and healing in her body right now. God, we ask for your touch on her in Jesus' name. God, we pray for every need that we have this week. We ask you to supply it. And when we don't get what we think we need, God, help us to find a way around it. God, thank you for the things you've done and said in us today. Seal them in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. We're going to dismiss. Remember, uh, we're going to leave here today at 1.30, staff. And so if you want to be, make sure you're back here, ready to go at 1.30. And uh, the rest of you, enjoy your afternoon. God bless you as you go.